Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we ask that you would come and Lord, you would teach us. Lord, our, our hearts are here, are prepared, are softened. Lord, we, we ask that you, by, by your spirit, Lord, through your word, Lord, would you speak to us. Lord, we want to hear you. We don't want to leave with, with a necessarily a fuzzy feeling. We don't want to leave with a lot of information, Lord. We want to leave, Lord, having heard your voice so clearly. And so, Lord, I ask that you would get me out of the way, that you would remove any distractions from me, and, Lord, would you draw my attention to you, and, Lord, for each one of us, Lord, and everything that you say through me would be words from you and not of myself. And so, Lord, we, we, we ask collectively, Lord, and individually, Lord, would you speak to us now by your Spirit, for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, read with me. We're going to read bit by bit and study through the chapter. <coughs> Would you read with me the first six verses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation? I've been trying to figure out how to say that. I don't even know if I said that right. To you, or letters of commend commendation, commendation from you. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay, so this here is Paul. We're familiar with this man, right? The apostle, the, the Paul who was called Saul before, whose, whose life was radically changed on the road to Damascus. And he is writing here in this letter he is writing to the believers, the Christians, in the church in Corinth. And in these opening verses, and really these six verses, we're going to look at them quite briefly and just kind of set the tone for, for what Paul says further in the chapter. But in these open, opening verses, he starts really with two rhetorical questions. Do we, he says, now he's Look at verse 5 and 6. We being, he's talking about the ministers of the gospel. Do we begin again to commend or recommend ourselves? He asks. Or do we, again, as ministers of the gospel, ministers of this so-called new covenant that he's talking about, do we need, as some others, epistles or commendation to you or letters from you. What here what is Paul talking about here? Now, in the day of the early church, we know from Acts, right? The church is born. There would have been false prophets or people that would come through the churches, through the body of Christ and say that I come on behalf of Paul. I come on behalf of Bob. Whatever you want to call him. And so to guard against this 
a letter of recommendation, which would have been proof, a credible source, some sort of reference point, would have been sent with Christians to validate their ministry, to say, I'm, I'm trustworthy, or you can trust what I say or the things that I do. Now, if we look at a big picture, there's two letters Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul has already defended his ministry. And so in one sense, here he's writing the second time, the second letter to the same church, and he says, do I really need to do that again? You know me. I'm Paul. <laughs> I've spent time with you. And so he asks, you know, do I need to defend my ministry again? And here he makes a simple statement in these th few verses, 2, 3, and 4. And he says, you are our epistle. You, the believers in the church in Corinth, you are the living, breathing letter of recommendation for me, for my ministry, for our ministry. And he says, you're written on our hearts, known and read by all men. What Paul was saying here, he was saying that the validation and credentials of his ministry was the changed lives of these Corinthians. That the proof of his ministry was the life and the fruit of their lives and not necessarily a piece of paper that says, yes, you've done it, Paul. And he breaks that down if you look in verse 3. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ. He says you've been ministered by us. And Paul recognizes that he's part of the role in ministering to them. And he says not with, with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. And yes, Paul wrote this letter down physically as but he says that it was a work of the Spirit. It was under the direction of the Spirit. Not on tablets of stone. Yes, he did write it down physically. But also, he says, on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. Again, you, the Corinthians, you're the living, breathing message and evidence of this ministry of God. And again, just to make sure that he, Paul, gets no credit for the ministry at all, he says here that, us as ministers, and Paul includes himself, we are not sufficient of ourselves. He says, I'm not sufficient to transform lives. <laughs> he says, our sufficiency comes from God. It's only Jesus who can transform lives. And he says here at the very end, he has made us sufficient or enough as ministers of this new covenant. Okay, what were our three things? Covenants, veil, and glory. Okay, so it's interesting that people, whether it's yourself or people you might encounter at school or people around the place, we believe that we can kind of have our own deal with God, with a relationship. And you may, you may hear of this with people that you know in relationship here on earth that you may deal with a relationship on your terms the way that you, you think it will work out, what you want from it. And people can think that in regards to their relationship with God as well. And I think we can all fall into this trap that we have our own arrangement or terms with God. This is how it goes. But God, that is not the way that God deals with us. He deals with men and women on the basis of covenants. 
So what is a covenant? A covenant is a relationship between two people, two parties, and they make binding promises to each other, and they work together to work towards a common goal. It can be accompanied with an oath, a sign, a ceremony. We often will think of a marriage, right? You show your commitment to one another through a ceremony, a wedding ceremony, the exchanging of rings. And so since the beginning of time, God has dealt with man in this realm of covenants. Now there's a lot of different covenants in the scriptures. God made covenants from the very beginning with Adam and Eve to, Mo to Noah, Moses, Abraham, David, all the way working up to this new covenant. And they're important in the Bible because they're key to God's redemptive plan. From the moment that fellowship was broken in the garden with Adam and Eve all the way to Jesus coming, dying, and restoring us, redeeming us back to God. Covenants have played a role. Now we're going to look at two covenants tonight. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now the Old Covenant, known as, say, also known as the Mosaic Covenant, this was offered by God with the people of Israel through the Mosaic Law. It came through through Moses. This was the law that was given to Moses. It was a, a temporary covenant in which God promised to make Israel into a holy kingdom of priests that would spread his blessing and glory in the world. But God instructed that Israel would have to obey the laws that he, was, that he gave them at Mount Sinai, promising that blessings would come if they followed his commands, but curses if they ignored them. This covenant, the old covenant, relied on God to be faithful to his people, but also relied upon the people to follow the commands, to obey. Our position or under this covenant was, was wavering. In that sense of this law, it was a good law, it was a holy law, it was a righteous law, but it's something that we in our best efforts couldn't keep and it wasn't ever going to save us. That's the old covenant. Now, the new covenant. This was also, also offered by God and it came through Jesus Christ. This is grace that came through Jesus. This is an everlasting covenant and God would, as it says here, write his law on the hearts of the people, bring complete forgiveness of sin and raise up a faithful king from the line of David who would restore everything that was broken. And it promised abundant and eternal life. The difference is it relied upon all the covenant promises being fulfilled in this man, Jesus. Our position under this covenant is unwavering for it was bought with the precious blood of Jesus, and it isn't based on what you do or what I do. And this covenant really presents the terms in which we can enter into a relationship with Jesus, where it relies upon what he's done and not what we have to do. 
where we receive the forgiveness of sins and God's empowering spirit to help us live a life where we are obedient, where we follow God's law, where we walk in the things that he has for us. And so we have these two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. Now read with me in verse 6. Now what we're going to do is I've, I've mentioned those two covenants. Now Paul, what he's going to do is he's going to contrast the old covenant with the new covenant. Okay? As we go through this. Read with me in verse 6. And we read this verse, but we'll, we'll, close, we'll, close, we'll focus on the last part of this verse. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Focus here. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So Paul recognizes himself as a minister of this new covenant. This is the message of the gospel. God has invited us to relate to him on the basis of this covenant, what he's done and not what we do. And now he begins to make contrast between the two. And the goal in making contrast between the two is to show that the so-called new covenant is superior, is better, is far exceeding, and he talks about this issue of glory, far exceeds the glory of that of the old. The first contrast he makes here in verse 6, he says, under the old covenant, he says, he says, of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. So under the old covenant, the letter kills. But under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Now, Paul points out there, the new covenant is not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now, the letter of the law is this outward sense of the law. And he says, it's later on, it's written on stone tablets. It came through Moses. It was given at, at Mount Sinai. And the law itself is good. If you look in Psalm 19, 7 to verse 11 it says the law of the lord is perfect converting the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple the statutes of the lord are right rejoicing the heart commandment of the lord is pure and it goes on and on to say that this law that god gave his people israel is a good thing is a pure thing is a right thing and in romans 7 verse 12 paul comes to the conclusion he says, therefore, the law is holy, the commandment holy, just, and good. But the problem with the law was that it couldn't save us. It gave us no power to serve God, and it could not change our heart. It simply told us what to do, and ultimately, through effort, what we could not do. And Paul comes to and summates in, in Romans 3.20. He says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Through the law and the fact that we tried to match it, we realize we can't. And therefore we realize we sin. We miss the mark. The law was a schoolmaster to show us we need a savior. And so he says, not of the letter, and he says and concludes here, the letter of the law, it kills. Why does it kill? Why does it lead to death? Well, it exposes your sin before God and proves that you're guilty 
before God. And in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. And so he says this old covenant, this new covenant is not of the letter. That's something of the old covenant. But it's of the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is in the, it's an inward sense of the law. And again, the contrast is made rather than written on stone tablets, it's written on our hearts. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When, when we give our life to Christ, he indwells us and becomes a guide to us and he enables us to live out this good, holy, and righteous law. Where it's not my effort, but it's through the enabling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he says there, the spirit of the law, it gives life. It, it empowers us to live out through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, read with me verse 7 to 11. And as we look, we've seen one contrast that the new covenant is not of the letter, it's of the Spirit. And the letter, it kills because it shows us, man, we cannot do these things. We can't keep the law. But the Spirit gives life because it gives us the power to live out the law in the empowerment of the Spirit. Verse 7 to 11, note some more contrasts. Now, it would be really helpful if Paul used the same terms each time to talk about the same thing, but Paul being Paul, it's, it's a bit more complicated than that. It says, but if the, spirit, the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels it. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Now count the amount of times Paul says glory there. So Paul, again, he continues to jump into these, drawing these contrasts. And here he introduces this idea that the new covenant has an exceeding glory than that of the old covenant. It overrides that of the old covenant. Now this issue of glory is introduced. The word here for glory in, in the New Testament is doxa, which means weight. And if you look at the ancient ancient Hebrew word for glory, it means weight or something, the idea is something that has substance to it. And so Paul is going to make some contrasts here surrounding this issue that the, that the glory of the new covenant is greater than that of the old covenant. The first thing he says, and here he says the ministry of death talking about the Old Covenant. And then a few verses down, he says, the ministry of the Spirit, they're speaking of the New Covenant. And so he says, if this Old Covenant, the law, the ministry of death was glorious, and again, he refers to this as the ministry of death because again, the law was holy and righteous. And so when we tried to 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 fulfill the law, it shows us that we can't fulfill the law because all of those sinful desires that seem to come up within us, 
are aroused by the law, right? If I say, like, as soon as I tell you the rule, like, you can't go in that room tonight at all. Like, what does everyone want to do? Go in the room. 100%. And so when we, when we realize that the law is something, we can't match it. Then we realize we're left with, wow, we're, we're, we, we're a sinner. We can't meet it. As soon as there's a line, we want to step over it. And so he calls this the ministry of death because ultimately it shows us we can't match up and that leads to death. But notice something here. There is a glory to this old covenant. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Exodus, but Moses, right, he goes up onto the mountain to receive the, what, what are the two stone tablets called? The Ten Commandments and a whole lot of other things. We just think he came down with the ten, but there was a lot more things. And so at the time where God gave Moses the law, Mount Sinai was surrounded with smoke. There was earthquakes, thunder, lightning when God spoke. And when Moses came down, the glory of this law was evidenced in what? Look at the scripture. What does it say? Moses' face was glowing, shining. And so Paul points out here that all, though Moses, he, he went up, he has this experience with God, he, he receives the commandment. His face is shining. He says here that ultimately he had to cover it with a veil in the presence of the people because this glory that was on his face would soon pass away. The glory of, this, of the law and the experience that Moses has with God on the mountain was a fading glory. And so Paul, he's saying that this he says, if the ministry of death, this law, was glorious, glory being evidenced in the shining of Moses' face, and if the old covenant, that law that was, that was glorious, if it brings death, he says, how much more will the glory of the ministry of the Spirit, that of the new covenant, that which comes through Jesus Christ, it must have a greater glory. And Paul, he kind of makes these points through, through questions. Then he says here again, the, the old covenant, the law being the ministry of condemnation, of judgment, versus the new covenant that comes through Jesus being the ministry of righteousness. And he says again, the surpassing glory of the new covenant is evidenced here. In the ministry of righteousness, that through the new covenant, that of, of grace, it exceeds in glory to that of the old covenant. Where we, we can't keep the law and there's judgment and condemnation because we can't match up. This new covenant makes us righteous by the blood of Jesus and not of our own works. He talks about the ministry of death versus the ministry of the life and the spirit, the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness, 
And then the, here he makes this kind of summated point, this end point, this concluding point. He says, it, the old covenant, the law, has a fading glory, and that of the new covenant has a greater or brighter glory. And he says that in verse 10. For, what, for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels it. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Ultimately, the old covenant, the law, was to be done away with and was to be a shadow of what was to come in which Jesus would come and fulfill the law. And that was far more glorious, had much more substance, had much more weight, had much more what we need and what can offer us than something where one man went up to God, received the law, his face was glowing, and he had to cover himself with a veil because at the end of the day, that glory was going to fade. Read with me verses 12 to 16. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So under the, new co- the, the old covenant, Moses covered his face with a veil, while there, when we give our lives to Christ and we are in Christ, the veil is taken away. Because the new covenant is much more glorious than that of the old, Paul says we have hope. We have hope in a more glorious covenant. And he, here he proclaims that there is an openness and boldness to this no, new covenant because where the old covenant restricted us and separated us from God, the new covenant brings us to God and enables us to come boldly before him. It allows us to be intimate with God. Moses, he covered his face with a veil so that the children of Israel couldn't see the passing glory. He went and he was so intimate with God that God's presence shone on Moses' face. Now, what's the purpose of a veil? Where do we see a veil? Hmm? A wedding? Not as much now, eh? But a wedding? Yes, in the tabernacle? So the purpose of a veil was to cover, to hide something. It, in essence, is a barrier. Now, if you remember the story, I don't know if you know, in Genesis 29, where Jacob, he's deceived by his uncle Laban. He was told, work for seven years for the woman he loved, Rachel. Imagine, boys, if you had to work seven years for your wife. That's intense. And then imagine if this happened. You work seven years for Rachel, and then on your wedding night, you find out that it's not Rachel, someone else. That's bad. 
Now, we think of that being, that would be highly inconvenient, not good at all. Why was this the case? The case of this, that he, he didn't know until his wedding night that it wasn't Rachel, it was in fact Leah. It was because, it was because a veil covered her face. And it wasn't removed until she was finally alone with her husband. Now, one, one said this, he, ex, he says, Paul explains the real purpose of the veil here. It wasn't to hide the, the shining face of Moses, but to hide the diminishing glory of his face because the glory was fading. The passing glory of the old covenant contrasts with the enduring glory of the new covenant. With Moses, he had to create a barrier. It was a reflected glory. He covered his face because the glory was fading. It's those of us who, who try, we try to maintain our own righteousness or standing by keeping the law only to find out that after maybe two or three days we can't match everything up, we can't meet all of the, the checkpoints and in one sense, that glory of like, I've, I've met these points so far, it eventually is going to fade because we, in our best effort, cannot match up. And so we come face to face with our inability, our weakness, our frailty. The law and our inability to keep it has this fading glory. The end point here, and, and Paul talks about that, that people's hearts were blinded, that, they're, that even the Jews of his day, they still believed that the covenant with Moses was the prevailing thing, it was the best thing, and he says that even though there was a better covenant that had more glory, he said that there, the, the, there was a veil over their hearts because they wouldn't receive these things. He says, for until this day, that same veil remains unlifted. They thought that the law and doing the right thing and matching and making and, and, and getting all the effort to do all the things was going to save them and be better. Then when Paul says here, he says, Never, nev nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, when we believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the one who died and rose again, he says that the veil is taken away. We then at that point can see the surpassing glory of Jesus and this new covenant. The end point is this, Paul says. Contrast, contrasting both of these covenants, there was glory to the old covenant but it was fading because we can't match up. We can't do everything right. We won't be perfect all the time. But the glory of the new covenant exceeds because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what Christ has done. And Paul, he finishes here, and these are the, the final verses and the verses that we'll focus on this week, and I don't have much to say about them, and we'll close. Says never. Oh, it says verse seventeen. Now, where the Lord is spirit. Now the now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is there, there is liberty. 
but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. And so Paul here boldly proclaims, he says, for the Corinthian believers, for you, for me. Those of us who are in Christ, who have entered into the terms and conditions of this new covenant by confessing with our mouth and believing with our heart, he says, in that covenant there is freedom, there is liberty. There's liberty in our access. We have liberty to live in the Holy Spirit's presence. We have great liberty in our relationship with God through through what Jesus has done and through what the Holy Spirit is doing. We have the liberty to access God and to talk to him and to not have a veil or a barrier. To come to God and to, to be in relationship with him, they had to you know, sacrifice an animal to cover for their sin. But it says, therefore, in Hebrews, in 4.16, it says, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. We all, he says, all of us, we can come to God. Where you think of the old covenant, there was one man who went up and received the law and his face was glowing. We all with unveiled face because we have access to God. It says as we behold the glory of the God. That word there is to reflect or to contemplate, to spend time with God, to carefully study God. As we behold him, it says we will literally be transformed. We will be changed in appearance. This is something that not what you do, but something that is done to you. It's by the Spirit of God. It's a miraculous work of the Spirit in us we will be changed, transformed into the same image of Jesus. The goal is to become like Jesus. This is an ongoing process. But when we focus on the Lord and study him, we will be transformed. And the key here, and we'll, we'll close here, and the worship team, you can come up and we'll, we'll just go back to one or two songs before we, we finish off the night. But the key here is this work is done by the Spirit of the Lord. The work of transformation is a work of the Spirit in our lives. It's not something that hangs on our effort, our will. That was something of the Old Covenant. In one sense, the Old Covenant, there was, there was elements of fear and guilt and punishment where we didn't match up and we couldn't match up, and so those things took over. And ruled us. The new covenant is a work of the Spirit. And when we humbly surrender our lives to God and we let Him do His work in us, and I encourage you, as this is the first night, and there's a lot of information there. And those things will be confirmed over the weekend as we hear more and more on, different, on these different things. My encouragement is have the, uh, that approach this weekend. Would you allow God and humbly surrender and let him do his work in your heart? Because we came here, right, to ha have God work on us? Yeah? I know we, we came for a fun time. 
and we might have come for Teclas food. Yeah. yeah. And for donuts, I don't know. But as we close here, and this is only the beginning of our weekend, I want to encourage you, he has lifted the burden. The, the, the overwhelming sense of the law that we have to achieve, the weight of your sin. He has brought freedom from hell and the grave. And he has allowed us opportunity to enter into relationship. And so hold on to this. Hold on to the message that the new covenant is not about trying harder. That was the old covenant. The message is God's already done it all. And allow him to then, as we behold him, as we study him, as we spend time with him this weekend, in our own walk with the Lord, when you go home, allow him then to transform us. Do you want to be transformed? Yes, we won't turn into transformers, but we can be transformed by the Spirit of God. That we might, at the end, be able to be more like Jesus, right? We want to look like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you, Lord, for just your love for us, Lord. We thank you that you have given us your word, and you have given us your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would, as we spend time with you, Lord, you would bring clarity in looking at the old covenant, Lord, looking at the new covenant, looking at how we spend time with you, Lord, that you do transform us. And Lord, I pray that you would take the weight off our shoulders and that we don't have to transform ourselves and change ourselves so that we are more like you. It's something where, Lord, we just allow you to do that and your spirit will work. And so, Lord, for me personally and, Lord, for all of us, Lord, we, we ask that you would have your way in our lives this weekend. Lord, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to stand with us?